Thank you for tuning in to the Meridian Friends Church podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss any of the sermons posted each week. You can also find more information about our church at www.meridianfriends.org or on Facebook or Instagram by searching Meridian Friends Church. Now, enjoy the sermon. I want to invite you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew today. Last week, as we launched into Advent messages, I had you turn to uh, the Gospel of John. But today I want us to look at what Matthew has to say, just a part of it, of the advent of Jesus and his coming into the world. I'm going to focus today on the wise men, and I want to focus on these three incredible gifts that they gave to the king. And I'm inviting us today to think about what it is that we can give. Today's message, I do not anticipate, will be done in a matter of minutes or even hours. Today's message will be done as we go out and do it. And I pray that we can. I pray that God shows us different ways that we can give to our king. And Jesus says, you know, when you did it for anybody, the least of these, even a cup of cold water in my name, you did it for me. This is about Jesus' birthday, right? Let's not talk about what we're going to get for Christmas. Let's talk about what we're going to give him. So I want us to think about these three gifts that the wise men offered. And of course, you know what the gifts are. They're gold, frankincense, but wait, there's myrrh. Oh, oh. People have speculated about these gifts as to why these particular gifts were given. So before we read from the gospel, I want us just to think a little bit about that. And maybe that would help us as we go to consider the sacrifice of the wise men and what they were doing and maybe why they gave some of these gifts. One way to look at these three gifts is that they could have been very practical gifts for the moment. So for example... The gold could have been used to pay for the rental, right, of the stable where they're born. Lots of theories about inside, outside, caves, stables, guest houses, inns, animals that stayed in the front area and the manger and all those things. I'm not going to wreck your Christmas scene. In fact, I helped put that manger scene up right there. I'm not going to blow it out of the water. I know that there's lots of tradition behind it. But that's an interesting thought for the practical needs of Mary and Joseph. We know that they did not come from wealth. And so I'm sure that the gold proved to be very useful for them in one way or another. Um, Frankincense perhaps as perfume for the stable, right? You've heard this before. Uh, It probably didn't smell so good. (laughs) Um, There's actually a lot of beautiful imagery with regard to the stables. Lana Thurston is following along with our daily Bible readings And she commented just yesterday about the swaddling clothes being used for the lambs that would have been used in Bethlehem. They protected those lambs very carefully because those were lambs that were destined to be sacrificed in the temple, right? Bethlehem's right next to Jerusalem. And so what a beautiful thought, the imagery there. Jesus is the Lamb of God and and how appropriate that he was swaddled. These these are just some of the practical things. and, And we look at it from the lens of this side of history, don't we? because we know what's going to happen with Jesus. Another, maybe for the moment, practical idea that's thrown out there, myrrh perhaps as ointment or medicine for a newborn, and and this uh, resin or oil was used 
uh, in those kind of ways as well. It's maybe more interesting to think that the wise men had a lead on knowing who Jesus is. They certainly didn't travel all that way for nothing, right? So some have said gold, of course, is a symbol of kingship. Frankincense as for worship, and of course it is representative of worship. Frankincense was burned in uh, the incense um, burners that were used in worship and the worship of Jesus. And then myrrh, of course, uh, being used as, as a spice uh, for death and the embalming of Jesus. Of course, Jesus was born in order to die for us. And so it's interesting to think, you know, the wise men, they, they were studious and there were prophecies ahead of them. I'll talk about in a little bit. But it's interesting to wonder if they weren't just giving some practical gifts, but they were also giving gifts that have so much meaning with regard to what Jesus came into the world to do. These are reminders to us anyway we can see it as we look back on it of what would happen to baby Jesus that he's born the king of kings we know that that he's worthy of worship not just to ooh and ah over a cute baby or to be sentimental over Santa Claus or trees or anything like that this is about King Jesus who is deserving of worship Lord at thy birth so we're with the wise men on this am, am I right we can at least see it from our perspective and we know that Jesus was born in order to give us this gift of his death and the forgiveness of our sins. Aren't you grateful? Don't we have so much to thank God for this season? I know it's supposed to be a happy, sentimental season. And whether or not it particularly is a hard season or, or happy and sentimental, it's a joyful season. It's joyful because of this long look at who Jesus is. It's joyful because we're so loved as people that God would think to send his one and only son, knowing that not everybody would worship him. These kings are exceptions. Everybody else overlooks what's happening. We're going to read about Herod as we open these pages with the wise men. It's connected that, that there's a madman. Herod was a lunatic. He was called Herod the Great. But it's only because of what he managed to build. It's not because he was a great person. He, he had his mother killed. He had his kids killed because he assumed they were conspiring against him. It's no wonder he tried to conspire against whatever this king was that needed to be taken care of. He was paranoid. He was an awful person. Under that backdrop, God so loved the world that he sent his son. It wasn't his time to be killed. Later it would be. He would march down the Mount of Olives. He would come into Jerusalem, being hailed rightly as king and worshipped, knowing that he was going to die for us. You are loved. It's such a summary of Christmas, isn't it? You're loved. And God so loved every person you're going to see this week. God so loved every one of your family members. God so loved every person walking in darkness today that doesn't recognize the star out there or the signals that Jesus is born. He loves them. We have so much to celebrate today. It only makes sense that we might begin thinking today about what we can give out of this extravagant grace God has lavished on us. Would you stand with me as you're able? I'm reading from Matthew chapter 2. And here's what Matthew has to say. 
After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be shepherd, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, of course lying, said, go and search carefully for the child as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And at the start, they had seen when it rose and it went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. May God bless the reading of his word among us, and may we have the heart of givers today. Please be seated. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What do we have to offer to Jesus? We all get sort of wrapped up in the Christmas season with regard to the gifts we think to give everybody else. Is anybody here done shopping? I bet there are some. They're afraid to raise their hands. Uh huh. I thought so. I knew that person over there was done, and I love that because her gifts are so thoughtful as well. Way to go. Anybody else? No? Well, how about this? What do we have to give to Jesus? And shouldn't he be the very first one? It's going to be harder maybe to wrap this gift, but I think it's really important that we think tangibly about what that means and how it is we're going to be intentional to honor Jesus, not just with the gift of worship like this, but in other ways as well. So I'm going to think about, I'm going to frame my thoughts around gold, around frankincense, and around myrrh, just as a way of inviting us to think about what it is God calls us to give. And by the way, your notes are blank. I'm doing that on purpose. I just want you to know. I want to invite you just to write what you feel inspired to write. That's okay. Your outline might look a lot different than mine. It's okay. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So if you think of something practical that you can give to your Lord uh, in, the, in, in just the next few minutes as I'm up here talking, tune me out and write it down. I think that's pretty important stuff. Let's start with gold. Matthew 2 describes that they opened their treasures and they presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And I can't help but see the wise men's gifts through my own eyes. I'm kind of partial to this idea that gold symbolizes his kingship. 
I know it does for me. Actually, I think it did for the wise men as well. You notice that when they're asked about Jesus, they respond with Scripture. They have access to the Scripture. They've studied Scripture. There's some really interesting background reading you can do on the wise men about how they would have known. They're Chaldeans. They're from Iran or Iraq. They've traveled 400 miles from the east just to come to this place. They're not from the promised land. They're not from the nation of Israel. But while nobody else seems to recognize what's happening except the shepherds with the blinding light of an angel, yeah, they get it. Here are the wise men understanding what's really going on. Why? Because they've studied the scriptures. You can go back to Daniel in the Old Testament some 600 years before the birth of Jesus. Balthazar, he's also known as, and he's in captivity and exile, and he tells them about Jesus, and there's specific prophecies about Jesus, and they seem to understand it because they calculated the time that he would be born, and they noticed the sign of the star, these things that are in the prophecy, and so they have come to worship him. Isn't that amazing when you stop and when you think about it? Now, gold is one of their gifts. I think they are honoring him as a king. Gold. Something occurred to me in thinking about giving God gold. And it goes something like this. When we give our gold, we're only giving something back to God that he already owns. Wouldn't you agree? I was reading in First uh, Chronicles, and I know some of you were joining me on that just about a week or two ago. First Chronicles 29. And I keep mentioning that all through the year. Have you noticed? If some of you are reading with me, if some of you are reading with me, well, guess what? A new year starting in four weeks. If you want to start reading with me, write it on your card. I'm going to give you a link. I don't know what reading plan we're doing yet, but I know it's one of them. We're going to figure it out. Are we going to do the same one? No, no, this is year two. This is year two. You made it. Uh-oh. We'll talk. We'll talk. We'll talk. I mean, I'm sure I'm wrong. <laughs> but the good news is, if you want to jump in this year, you will read through the New Testament all in one year. And we'll continue through the Old Testament. Wow, how time flies. I don't have anything else to say. I just, I'm wrong. <laughs> this is a good lesson to husbands out there. Can you practice this with me? I was wrong. Go ahead. Three words. Yeah, yes, dear. You were right. There it is. You were right. You were right. Okay, First Chronicles 29, verse 14. Uh, we're reading this. And I really would invite you to let me know if you want to read with us. There's like 37 of us last year. Um, First Chronicles 29. And this is in the context of David raising funds for the temple. And it's crazy how much gold they gave in making the temple. Literally tons of gold. Tons and tons of gold to make the temple. And so it says how much specifically in here, how much David gave. It says how much the leaders gave. That's convicting, isn't it? The leaders always should give more. And there it is right there. And then verse 14, David says this, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? 
Oh, you're not ready to see that, are you? Uh, as generously as this, everything comes from you. You get that? Any gold that we have to give comes from God. That's the source. And we've given you only what comes from your hand. You think about that? This really spoke to me the other day. Teresa and I are trying to sell a house. Who in their right mind tries to sell a house in this environment, in this market, right? And I'm just reminded it's the Lord's house. It must be pleasing to him that it's empty right now because it's his house, not my house. The house that we just bought, not my house. I only want to do whatever the Lord wants to do with it. How about that? Somebody gives you a door ding on your car. Well, the Lord must have needed a door ding on his car today. It's just freeing, isn't it? It's just freeing. It's not my stuff anyways. At Christmas, materially, as 1 John 3.16 reminds us, is there someone in need of your gift? And I pray that you will be responsive. I pray that you will give generously. Why? Because it's the Lord's stuff. You know what a steward is? A steward is someone who recognizes they own nothing and they're responsible for everything. That's a steward. We own nothing and we're responsible for everything. We do not own. This is all the Lord's. I love King David's perspective about it. The wise men came and, and they poured out gold to Mary and to baby Jesus. Notice it doesn't say Joseph. This kind of messes with your timeline perhaps of Jesus just being born. Again, I'm not going to mess up your manger scene. I like having the camels in the manger scene myself. <laughs> giving. Another, another thing about giving that just came to my thoughts is that giving is about responding to grace. That's a picture of our tour group in Jordan at Petra. If you recognize it, yes. It is where they filmed a scene from Raiders of the Lost Ark. And there's Kenny right there giving a wave to Harrison Ford, <laughs> saying, I made it here too. And he's greeting you, right, Kenny? There he is. <laughs> we went to Petra, and it, and it has some interesting biblical significance. Why are you seeing a picture of Petra? Well, one, I promised to give you some of these slides. And I didn't want to torture you with the whole evening of looking at vacation slides. Aren't you grateful? This is my Christmas gift to you. But Petra is significant with regard to the wise men. It was part of what's called the ancient Silk Road connecting continents. It's part of the king's highway to the north as it goes through the promised land. It's a place where a lot of trade and commerce happened and Petra was well known to be a place where they would distribute gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The gold came from Nubia. It came from the, the south of Egypt. It's, it's obviously a rare commodity. There was trade going on. It's believed that the wise men had to have traveled through this area. If you've been there, you don't travel through the desert. You will die. You travel along the only inhabited paths to have any hope of finding shade from the mountains, for one thing, water and civilization. And so as dangerous as it was sometimes, to travel these main roads. That's got to be where they went. Isn't that interesting to think about? So there's a little gift shop there called the Three Kings. Of course, I had to buy something from the Three Kings shop. So I got Teresa some frankincense and myrrh. And I got to tell you, it smells really good. It smells delightful. It's powerful. Giving. 
It's about responding to grace. What this made me think about with regard to Petra and other civilizations is God's bigger plan for this whole thing. I mentioned that the wise men were Chaldeans. They were from the east. Doesn't it show you that all along it's within God's heart to bless the whole world through his coming? God so loved the whole world, not just one nation, not just one bloodline, not just one family. He wanted this one bloodline and this chosen family and this chosen nation to be a blessing to all of the world. And now you and I are heirs of Abraham, not through blood, but because of the promise that God loves us so much that he sent his Savior into the world. All along, there's these ancient trade routes going on. There is a path, literally a way for these kings to get to Jesus. Now, maybe I have too big of an imagination, but I think, wow, I think God planned that. I think that's pretty cool. When you just stop and think about it. Petra was the capital of what's known as the 10 cities called the Decapolis that you hear referenced in the New Testament. And there's more to say about it, but the Apostle Paul probably spent time at Petra. Isn't that interesting? When he went away to Arabia to be discipled. There's a lot of biblical history in these places, but they're outside of the promised land. Did you know Meridian, Idaho is outside of the promised land that Moses got to go up to Mount Nebo and look at? Did you know that? We were not within view <laughs> from the other side of the Jordan. But God so loved Meridian, Idaho. Bethlehem was in his heart for all eternity. He planned all of human history to come to this moment of Jesus being born. When we give, all that we do is respond to incredible grace. We didn't do anything to deserve that. God loved us first. Everything we have is his, but everything we are is his as well. We have nothing spiritually outside of what Jesus gives us as an absolute gift of grace. It's no wonder Jesus looked at the widow who put a mite in the offering and said, that's the gift that makes angels sing because she gave it from her heart. She understood grace. She understood. She was so thankful. She wanted to give everything. It's never about the amount of gold. It's about responding from your heart in grace. Legalism always asks, what do I have to do? What's the law? What, what must I do? And grace always asks, what can I do? I mean, imagine these guys coming this far to venerate Jesus. They gave gold. They gave frankincense. Frankincense, of course, the word you want to connect with frankincense, I really do think, is worship. Because frankincense was burned and it, and it was used by uh, the nation of Israel for this expression of worship. And incense is, is used even now in Christian churches and in other traditions as well as an offering, something beautiful for the nostrils of the Lord. Our prayers in the book of Revelation are described as an incense rising up to God. And it really does smell pretty. Do you know what frankincense is? It's tree sap. So those gold-colored 
little rock things. They're, they're like tree sap, they're resin. And our guide took us to one of the trees that they would use to get frankincense out of, and it has a cut limb so tourists can put their hand on it and rub it and smell it. Your hand smells for a long time. <laughs> it's a beautiful smell. It's a fragrant offering, and that's what our worship is. It's a fragrant offering to Jesus. It's something that's pleasing to him when we choose to come and bow the knee and recognize who he is. And whether or not you really think these magi understood that this was a gift symbolic of worship, it doesn't matter as much because it says in verse 11, that's what they did, right? They bowed down and they worshiped him. And I think if there's a gift we can give to Jesus, it's got to be that. In our response to grace, in addition to pouring out our stuff, it's the gift of honoring him. God doesn't just want our stuff. He wants our hearts. I think worship isn't just about what we receive. It's about what we release. Would you agree? I know. We all want to receive something in worship. I don't know that there's anything necessarily wrong with that. But worship isn't primarily about me, right? It's not about us. It's not about what we can get by being present to worship. It's about what we can give. It's about what we can let go of, honestly, not hold on to. It's about what we can release. It's about what we can leave when we come to a place like this. What are we leaving into the care of our king? They walk away without the gifts. Are you with me? They don't just scoop the gold back up and, and go back, right? They leave it there. What is it that you need to leave here? What is it that you need to release at the feet of Jesus? That's worship. Of entrusting it into his care. You know, worship, is, it, it's about sacrifice. There's a camel. The wise men probably did arrive on camels. I mean, it's the only way to get through that desert, right? Those animals are amazing. They can go two weeks without water. They were called the ships of the desert because they went along the Silk Road and they went along this king's highway with so little need. And they transported these goods back and forth between these empires. Camels are amazing. But I'm going to tell you what, they are not comfortable to ride. <laughs> Forty days on a camel and you'd be seeing stars too. This is the camel that I rode in Egypt a couple of weeks ago. His name is, why didn't I get the lighter passenger? He was sneering at me the whole time, I'm pretty sure. Couldn't you eat some salads? We were on a camel about an hour and a half, half the way up Mount Sinai, and then by foot the rest of Mount Sinai. It was a lot of work for the camel. But the thing that I thought about going up to Mount Sinai, and the reason I put it in here, besides the fact that they probably came on camels. Oh, you probably can't see it. Can you see the beard? Oh, you can? You wondered about that, right? I No, it's not a mask. It's real. <laughs> it's my face. I forgot to bring a razor. <laughs> and 11 days in, Teresa's group meets us in Israel, and I had told her I forgot to bring a razor, and I sent her a selfie, and... 
and she brought a razor. <laughs> so it was gone the next day. That's my gift. I really did forget, innocently. Uh, but riding the camel, going up there, there's no stirrups, by the way. It's actually pretty uncomfortable. And, and then going the rest of the way at Mount Sinai, some of you have done it, it's extremely uncomfortable. It is so much work. Two of our um, members got sick going up there with altitude and, and fatigue and, and just, just the, the difficulty of travel. I tell people, if they want to go to the Holy Lands with us, it's not a vacation. It really isn't. It's, it is a spiritual pilgrimage. And, and part of it is the discomfort that is a gift. And I got sick for the first time, two and a half days there. I was very sick. And it's part of the sacrifice. Going up to this place that's celebrated as Mount Sinai in the Sinai Peninsula, to me, is so worshipful. It's so hard. And it's so worshipful to think about forefathers of the faith, Moses, going up that mountain in faithfulness to God. You know, they have a well there. This is part of the vacation slide experience. I better quit. But they have a well there that they say, this is the well where he met Zipporah, Moses met Zipporah. They, they don't necessarily know that, but it caused some of us in our group to think totally differently about Mount Sinai. What if Mount Sinai was in Moses' backyard for 40 years? What if it was right there? It could have been a place that he went up and prayed all the time. Could have been his normal habit to go up there and pray. He just never thought about it. Anyway, that's, that's for free. That's not part of the deal. But worship. What sacrifice are you called? What, what are you called to sacrifice? What are you called to give? Romans 12 talks about you and I being living sacrifices, and this is our act of what? Worship. Using our gifts. How about myrrh? I think of surrender and faith when I think about myrrh being an embalming agent for Jesus' body and his sacrifice for us. It's an interesting detail in verse 2, and it's really worth pointing out. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place to where the child was. Astronomers have really interesting theories about that, and I'm fascinated by it. But I also just take it in faith. <laughs> Whatever it was, it's definitely God's sign. And it led them to where they were going. I believe that 100%. But isn't that interesting? It, it says to me that they had to leave from 400 miles away to find out where they were going. Did you catch that? It moved. And isn't that the way faith works in our lives? We don't just sit back and wait for all the details. We have to start moving. It's kind of like driving somewhere in the dark. Your headlights only shine a certain amount. You can't see all the maneuvers. If you're going to go to our open house, and, and it's, um, I'm just going to ask, what time is our open house? Six to eight. And she does a beautiful job at the open house. I just, just want you to know. Um, 6 p.m., it's dark these days. Well, if you're leaving from this parking lot to get to our, you have to turn left. But the house is like three or four maneuvers that way two miles later. But you can't see it from here, right? In the dark. You can't see it. But you have to get moving to get the next maneuver. You have to get moving. You have to let the light that you have guide you to make the next step, to make the next step, to make the next step. And I just couldn't help but thinking, that has a lot to say to a church looking to make plans for its future. 
what's the next step? What's the next step? What's the next step? And to go in faith and to go in obedience. I just think the wise men have so much to teach us. And by the way, really, really, you ready? This is my picture. Does that look like a Christmas card or what? That's my camel. That's my picture. I earned that picture. just want you to know. That's actually the moon, but doesn't it look like the star? By the time we got up to where the camels dropped us off and we started walking, it was dark. That's the full moon that was out there. It was just beautiful. Just, it is a Christmas picture. I had to show it. I just want you to know. Myrrh. And don't think it was cheap. One caravan could make $4 million on one trek selling myrrh. Pretty cool stuff, isn't it? Just really interesting, um, interesting things. What it really reminded me of, uh, myrrh's oil. Did I mention that? There it is. It's a gum resin. Uh, used as a perfume, incense, or medicine. What I really thought about was Matthew 26, 12. And it's beautiful to me how Matthew, in writing this entire gospel, helping us to understand Jesus as the fulfillment of prophecy, he's writing to people with Jewish background that understand that. He writes in Matthew 26, 6 to 13, this account of what happens just before the Last Supper, just before his betrayal when he's at Bethany. And he's at the home of Simon the leper. Do you remember what happens? A woman comes and she pours out perfume over Jesus and the disciples are mad. That is such a waste. That could be used for such good things. And he says, the poor you're always going to have among you, but what this woman has done is she has prepared me for my burial. And to me, I think there's a beautiful bookend in Matthew for the life of Jesus with the anointing of the myrrh with the wise men, someone outside of Israel, and the anointing of someone technically they're thinking of as a sinner, someone outside of their graces, anointing Jesus because of her gratitude for who he is. You know, the one who's been forgiven much loves much. I want to invite us to spend a few minutes um, praying. Actually, I think what I'm going to do since I talk so long, trying to figure out the Bible plan, <laughs> I think that's where I went over, not sure. So I just want to invite us to pause in silence. I invite you to reflect on what Jesus has done for you and maybe what you can do for him. <laughs>